I want you to turn with me here tonight to Romans chapter 3 on this series on penal substitution. We've spent most of our time in the Old Testament. We started in the New Testament. We've spent a few messages in the Old Testament. I want to go to the New, but we're still dealing with the teaching and the substance of the Old Testament. But we're going to Romans chapter 3. You cannot preach from the New Testament without dealing with the Old. You cannot preach from the old without dealing with the new. It's utterly impossible. They're interrelated. And my message here tonight, I want to deal with one aspect of the cross and also a blood sacrifice in the Old Testament. It's very important. I may not cover a lot of ground. It may not seem as fascinating as some other areas, but this is vital. And I believe the enemies of the gospel are attacking this singular point, maybe as strongly as any other point connected to the cross. This is my message part seven here tonight. The wrath of God and the cross of Christ. The wrath of God and the cross of Christ. It is very rare to have the wrath of God preached in this generation. And you know what that tells me? There's something wrong with this generation. There's something wrong with the church and the preachers and the people. Because the wrath of God is such a vital thing. You cannot understand the cross unless you understand the wrath of God. I would dare say, if you don't study the wrath of God, understand it as the nature of God. If you don't feel it, if you don't comprehend it, you probably don't have any clue of the cross. If you're blind to the wrath of God, you're blind to the cross of God. Guaranteed. It is so vital that you can't even understand redemption, the blood, forgiveness, unless you comprehend the wrath of God. That tells me there's no wonder today's preachers, churches, ministries are throwing penal substitution in the bin. You know why? They threw the wrath of God in the bin a long time ago. If you remove the wrath of God, you will get rid of blood atonement, guaranteed. There's no worth in it. There's no value. You don't see your need or necessity. You no longer fear God. You no longer tremble before God. You no longer see the holiness of God. Therefore, the blood is lessened in its value. How dangerous. You cannot play games with the word of God, the truth of God, the character of God. You cannot do that and not damage the finished work of the cross. Let's read here from Romans chapter 3, from verse 21 through to 26. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, 
to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, the righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the death of your son. We thank you that he shed his blood at Calvary. We thank you for your love that was manifest there. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. But oh God, we also see the wrath of God manifest at Calvary against sin. We see your hatred of sin. We see the seriousness of sin. Lord God, we see the holiness of God. We see the purity of your heart. We see your detestation, nor God of everything that is dark and wicked and evil and contrary to your divine nature. My God, we don't want to lessen the severity of Calvary. We don't want to lessen the severity of the consuming fire that fell upon the sacrifice. My God, we're not merely, nor God, playing religious games, but oh God, we want to know the character of God and the nature of God and the truth of God and the power of God. Woe unto us if we change your gospel are ashamed of it, if we suppress it, if we hide it, if we ignore it, if we, nor God, cast aside words and meanings and teachings and understandings. Lord God, we rely on your Holy Spirit tonight to lead us into all truth. We know it's by the Bible, the written word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, given protected, preserved by your Holy Spirit, granted unto us graciously here in this room, here in this generation, that we have a Bible, nor God, when many are persecuted even for owning it, nor God, we thank you for the written scriptures. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the record of the Holy Spirit who moved through holy men of God in days of old, nor God, to give us a clear message, uncompromised, undiluted, nor God that would bring us this way of salvation, nor God convict us, so God, tonight. Let the fear of God fall upon us, nor God, even as we stand on holy ground, that we might run to the mercy seat tonight, nor God, that we might hide ourselves, nor God, under the covering of the precious blood of the Lamb. We give you glory and praise and honor, and nor God, we rejoice in your holiness, nor God, as well as your mercy. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want to read again Romans chapter 3, verse 25. And this is our main scripture here tonight. Speaking of Christ, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. My message here tonight, the wrath of God and the cross of Christ. Penal substitution. That's the title of our entire series. And we showed it thoroughly from Isaiah 53 last week. You need to listen to that message if you haven't. If you did, you need to listen to it again because it's so vital. But this entire series, because of the enemies inside the church, preachers, prophets, pastors, who are attacking this truth, we must preach it, make it clear, 
to find it again. You know why? When they attack the foundations, we've got to preach the foundations. We've got to walk around sand. Make sure everything's okay. Make sure that you understand truth again. Elementary things, basic things. We're not trying to teach you to suck eggs. But I'm telling you, your salvation depends on the correct understanding of the cross. If you misunderstand it, if you believe a wrong version of it, your soul is in eternal detriment. What a serious thing. And so when we come to the word of God, we see that the wrath of God is closely connected to what happened with Jesus Christ on the cross. I believe in this hour, the preachers have removed the preaching of the wrath of God, the character of God, because they don't understand what Christ done there. They have lost the seriousness of sin. Listen carefully as we begin. The Bible speaks more about the wrath of God, the anger of God, the fury of God, the vengeance of God, than about the love of God. That may shock you. In this generation, we now have a church, preachers, leaders, who only talk about the love of God. They never mention his hatred. The people don't even know that God and Christ hate certain things, hate certain people. I tell you, if I was to go into scripture and expound the times that the Holy Spirit speaks about God hating, not just sin, but sinners, you'd be really shocked because we never hear it spoken about. We hear God only loves you. God doesn't hate anyone. I'm going to tell you, I can show you not one scripture, not three scripture. I could go through and preach tonight. But we don't even have time. We need a series on the wrath of God to deal with everything. But I want you to hear. The Bible speaks more about the wrath of God and its connecting associated attitudes than about the love of God. God is love. And we're going to deal with the love of God tonight. I want to show you. I can't preach the wrath of God without preaching on the love of God. I can't do that. But neither should we preach on the love of God without preaching on the wrath of God. You know why? It's the same God. It's his character. How could we deny a part of who God is and yet emphasize one part of him? But we never mention the other areas of him. I would hate that if you only pulled one thing out of my character. And I, I seen this with Candace. There, there's a certain person in tone about Candace and they said, oh, she, she's very funny. That is not the thing I'd talk about Candace. Oh, she was fun. I want to tell you, none of you were fun like she was fun. She made me laugh. We had tremendous laughter in our house. But if someone come to me and said, oh, Candace is such fun. If that's all you said, I'm going to go, did you even know the girl? Did you spend any time with her? Man, are you a stranger? Were you deaf and blind and dumb? And it's true. That aspect is true. But if that's all you emphasize and talk about and know about, you didn't know Candace Malcolmson. You, you, you couldn't have known her. If you only talk about that aspect, it's the same with God. If all you talk about is the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God, you don't know this God. 
If you don't talk about his holiness and his righteousness and his fear and his hatred and his wrath, I would say you don't know this God. You cannot know him. Listen very carefully. In the Old Testament, there are 20 different words used for wrath to try and explain it. The Holy Spirit had to use that many words just to convey an understanding of this action of God's wrath. Do you know what God's wrath is? It's against sin. It shows the seriousness of sin. Sin is not a small issue. When you remove the wrath of God, you lose a seriousness over sin. You don't realize how serious it is. You take it casual and lightly and you tolerate it. You know why? You no longer see God's heart towards sin. You're not shocked by it, ashamed of it. You're not in awe of it anymore. It's a light thing to you. You know why? Because you do not know the character of God. You don't know his attitude, his words, his actions towards it. And so 20 Hebrew words in the Old Testament, just to begin conveying this, about 600 times the wrath of God is mentioned in the Old Testament, incident after incident. Even when you come to the book of Romans, where we are here tonight in these couple of verses, when you come to Romans, you have the wrath of God mentioned 10 times. You know, before he mentions the blood and forgiveness and mercy and grace, That's what fills chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5. It's filled with salvation, forgiveness, good news. But that isn't where he began. Chapter 1 through to chapter 3, he begins with the wrath of God. Why do you think that is? Three chapters all about the wrath of God before he begins talking about the blood or the lamb, or the sacrifice, or justification by faith, or salvation by faith. Before he even begins to deal with that, he deals with the character of God, God's wrath against sin. Read Romans chapter 1. You can't even move to the blood until you do deal with God's character. Can you begin to understand what men have done to the cross? We remove the wrath of God because it embarrasses us. In this hour and generation. But in Romans, I've heard it tell older, mature leaders who said penal substitution is not in the book of Romans. Christ being punished in our place for our sins is not in the book of Romans. They don't even read their Bibles. Ten times it mentions the wrath of God. It begins with the wrath of God. God's wrath against sinners against sin, disobedience. Do you realize how heavy it is if God's wrath fell on this room tonight? Do you realize how serious that would be? But we lessen it. We don't talk about it in the church. That's why the church is the way it is in this hour. You see, wrath is anger stirred to action. Anger is a hard attitude, not an action. Wrath is when you are moved to action. It's no longer in the heart. So wrath is action stirred to movement. Now I'm going to act. Now I'm going to do something about this. I've been patient and gracious and merciful. Now I am going to act. Wrath is a terrible thing. And wrath doesn't come immediately. There's other words connected with this in the character of God. Vengeance, indignation, hatred. All of this is a part of our God. 
Yet these words have been removed from the vocabulary of our preachers. This is something I've said many times over the years. I'm going to keep to mention it often in the years ahead. Remember the story in the Old Testament about Nehemiah in that wonderful book. He rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, had a revival, restored the people, done an extraordinary work. And then he went away after the revival, after the rebuilding, after the restoration, he went away for a time. Then when he came back, he looked on the people in the city and he was shocked. Listen to what it says. In Nehemiah 13, 23, in those days also saw I the Jews that had married with the wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, of Moab. Now, who were Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab? The enemies of God. They didn't believe in this God. They didn't believe in the Bible. They didn't follow blood sacrifice. These were pagan, heathen, idolatrous sinful people in around them. What did the Jews, God's people do? They intermarried. They took wives out of these three pagan peoples. And listen to the consequence. And their children speak half in the speech of Ashdod. Do you see that? Do you know what the parallel is here? The churches of this day, we have married into everything in around us. We, the church, have married Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and now we have spiritual children right across the church being birthed, and they're not like the old Christians. They're not like the old converts of my childhood. They don't have the same testimony. They don't have the same beliefs. They don't speak the same way. Listen to what it says here about these children. The children spoke half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jewish language. Oh, it's only half speaking in Ashdod. Do you see how being there, it didn't destroy their Ashdod language, but it destroyed the Jewish language. They could no longer speak it. I've seen this happen in the church. But according to the language of each people, you know what? We don't talk about redemption anymore. Propitiation. Look at verse 25. It talks about propitiation. Preachers don't talk about propitiation anymore or redemption or atonement or about blood sacrifice or listen about sin or repentance or wrath. Do you know what we, what has happened in the church? We have had an interbreeding with every false religion in the church, compromise, false teachings, heretics coming into the church. And our language has so changed, we don't even speak the biblical gospel anymore. That's why no one speaks about the wrath of God. That's why you don't get sinners trembling in their seats anymore. That's why we don't get mighty salvations. You know what? We've broken up the word of God. I've got four things for you here tonight that I want to deal with very clearly. Concerning the wrath of God and the cross of Christ, in order to help you understand this. Number one, the character of God. The character of God. Then I want to take you to the Christ of God. Then the cross of God. Then the coming catastrophe that's going to happen at the end of time for all those outside of Christ. 
I want you to see this tonight. And as we look at these four things, you're going to begin to understand the connection of the wrath of God to the cross of Christ. If you ever remove the wrath, you've changed this gospel. You really have. And that's why the cross is devalued. The blood is devalued. That's why men mock and are aghast at the thought that God would pour out his wrath on Calvary upon his son. They say, I don't believe that. I know you're a child of Ashdod. You're not even born again. We don't believe Jesus had to shed his blood. Oh, I know you don't. You're a Moab. You're not a believer like us. You're not a Christian like us. Your your birth is a false birth and you don't even speak the way we speak anymore. That's why the average church you walk into, you can't have a conversation. I know what it's like many times to be in a country and it's a different language. I haven't got a clue. It's gobbledygook. If they stand there and ask me what I want for my dinner, unless you speak clearly in English, I'm, gonna ha- I'm, I'm not going to say yes to anything until I know what I'm getting. Do you know in the church of this day, they're speaking gobbledygook. They're speaking Ashdod. They've destroyed. When you go into a church and they don't speak of redemption and repentance and of sin and of the wrath of God, you better run for your life. That place is saturated, absolutely filled with false doctrine. Something has gone wrong. A generation of tares has grown up. They don't even know how to speak biblical language anymore. They don't even like the language of the Bible anymore. Propitiation, what do you mean? Substitution, what do you mean? Sanctification, what's that? Something tragic's happened. You know, if a Christian is in this church one year and you don't know something of this, there's something terribly wrong. I know I stretch you. I understand that. I do. You know, when you go to school, they don't say, well, now, Jimmy, we're, we're going to throw out all, all of those complicated terms. I wish they'd done it when I was at school. And we're going to throw out algebra and mathematics, how to, how to be cheering. You know what? They say, you're going to come up to our standard. You are going to learn this. You're not going to be able to read or write or do math or work out in this world. We've got to teach you. Well, can I not just manage without learning anything? Can I not just sit here and have all the teachers be dumbed down and sit down with me and just talk baby language? It's happened in the church. I am telling you. And they're justifying it and they think it's normal and they're proud about it. Oh, we've thrown out all the old biblical terminology. You've thrown out the scripture. You don't know how to speak like a Christian anymore. And so the first point is the character of God. The wrath of God isn't just something God does. It's not. It's his character, like the love of God. Listen to what it says in Exodus 34, verse 6. This is God revealing who he is to Moses. Moses said, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to know your character. And so God did. Remember what he'd done? He hid him in the cleft of the rock. Then he passed by him. And as he passed by him, you've got to be in the cleft of the rock to have a revelation of who God is. And then God begins to, how does he reveal who he is? By saying, this is my character. I'm telling you who I am. And so he says, the Lord, the Lord God, 
merciful and gracious. Do you see he's merciful and gracious in the Old Testament? Oh, that's law. A lot of people have all this confused. You see, they think there's no mercy and grace in the character of God in the old, and they think there's no wrath in the new. You're confused. You're of Ashdod. You're a child of Ashdod if you get this confused. He says, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. I'm overflowing in goodness towards you. Do you know what sort of God I am? I am merciful. Aren't you glad for that tonight? I am gracious. I am kind. I am abundant, overflowing in this. There's no end to the supply. Then he goes further. And in truth, note that. He's a God of truth. There's a great lack of truth in today's church. You know why? God isn't there. The Bible calls him the God of truth. If you find a church without truth, the God of truth is not there. They have shut him out. They don't know him. They don't know his character. Keeping mercy for thousands. That means generations, thousands of generations. He keeps mercies. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is his character. This is who he is. He forgives sin. Do you know this God? He will forgive you. And that will by this and this, there's the other part of it. And he will by no means clear the guilty. This is his character, who he is. He will never clear. Oh, God can just forgive you. No, he can't. He will never, ever clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the father upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. You see, here is God revealing himself to Moses. Yes, I'm gracious, but I also never excuse sin or ignore it. God is not blind. He's not colored blind. He's not love blind. He sees sin. He always deals with sin. No one gets off with sin. No one. Hear me. There's always consequence for sin, whether you're saved Or whether you're a sinner, there's always consequence for sin. Always. And so here we have a God. And the church of this hour, they can't understand the character of God. They go, God is all love. There's no wrath in God. Hold on, it says in Romans 11, 22, about the goodness and severity of God in the one person. He is good and severe at the same time. We in the church, we go, that's impossible. You can't be good and severe at the same time. You can't be gracious and yet not excuse sin. It's impossible. You see, in this hour, we emphasize the character of God. From 1 John 4 and 8, God is love. God is love. That's what you hear all across the church. I know he's love. I've met him as love. I've experienced his love. But if that's all you know of the character of God, you're in dangerous ground. If you think because God is love, there's no wrath. You've got a false concept of love. You don't know the love of God. You see, the love of God amongst the church today, it is really what they mean. It's softness. His love is softness or weakness. It's indulgence. It's blindness. 
It's forgetfulness. That's how they define love. Oh, he loves me. That's what they mean. You don't know the love of God then. You see, God is love. But there is the wrath of God. And the Bible speaks about the wrath of God as a part of the character of God. Because it comes out of his anger. Anger is a characteristic. As much as love. You know what jealousy is? Jealousy is love stirred to action. That's what it is. Jealousy can be a bad thing in the flesh, but not with God. God is a jealous God. He's very, very jealous. But what does that come out of his love? If he's not loving, he wouldn't be jealous over you. You know what jealousy is? I don't want you out in that world. I don't want to share you with anyone else. I don't think it's okay having idols in your life. I don't think it's okay that you don't speak to me. You know, it's a terrible thing if you're in love with someone. I mean, you're consumed. You're you're caught up in love. They don't want to speak to you. They don't look at you. They're not interested in you. But you love them. That's torment. See this God. He is a jealous God. A very, very jealous God. And so we see this is all the character of God. When we come to the wrath of God in the Bible, so many in the church, they are embarrassed about it. They apologize for it. They're trying to justify an excuse. Well, God isn't really angry. He doesn't really hate. He doesn't really have wrath. Oh, fear God. That just means to respect him. No, the Bible says tremble. You ought to tremble at God. Don't tell me it means just a benign respecting of him. I'm talking about the Bible here. Not denominations, not churches, not preachers. I'm telling you what the Holy Spirit says. Now in today's church, the wrath of God, they ignore it. They deny it. They don't mention it. Even if they say, yes, it's in the Bible. They don't preach about it. No entire sermons or series or warnings about the wrath of God. Why is that? Why is there a silence about the wrath of God? This is the character of God. And the church has become blind and forgetful. But it is part of his character. And you know what? Wrath makes God perfect. Hear me very carefully. If God did not have wrath, he would not be a perfect God or a holy God. It's because he is holy and absolutely perfect. He has wrath. He is moved to wrath. There is anger in his heart and there's hatred in his heart. Can you imagine serving a God of love who doesn't hate sin? Who doesn't hate sinful actions? Who won't punish sinful actions, who tolerates everything. Can you imagine that sort of God who's benign, turning his head the other way, ignoring things because he said, I'm so loving? That God would not be a perfect God. You'd say, what, what, what dishonesty, what hypocrisy, what horror of darkness. This God is not a good God because he doesn't hate sin. And you know what? He hates your sin. You see, this is all part of his character. Indifference to sin. Can you imagine a God indifferent? His character was, I don't care about sin. I just care about people. I ignore your sin because I'm more interested in you. I don't care what you've done. I I just want to treat you well, no matter what, whether you're a rebel against me or whether you love me passionately. I just treat you all the same. Utter indifference. Utter indifference. 
So a lady once said, it was on a news item I seen just yesterday. I don't watch it, but I was at my mom's. And a lady come up and she said on there, said, oh, in fact, I think when I was just passing through the programs, I just caught this and she was sitting there and there was other people and she says, oh, I wouldn't mind if my partner went and slept with someone else. I would just forgive him because after all, isn't love unconditional? Therefore, I would just love him. I'd understand. And everyone else, these are all sinners and they're utterly shocked with her. You can see the horror and all those on the stage going, what? You know what? This world even knows there's something wrong with that. Yet we have turned God into that. Oh, I love you unconditionally. I don't care if you betray my trust. I don't care if you're a rebel against holiness. I'll just accept you and cover you. See, his holiness demands anger and wrath. What is love without hatred of sin? It would destroy real, real love. See, everything, the wrath of God's got everything to do with sin. It really does. Without it, sin would not be dealt with. Nowhere was sin more dealt with than on the cross. Hear me very closely. I'm talking about the character of God, his wrath against sin. He has wrath against sin. And nowhere was sin more explicitly dealt with than on the cross. Sin, that's where sin was dealt with. All of your sin. If you're going to see hatred of sin anywhere, you're going to see it at the cross. If you're going to see anger anywhere, you're going to see it at the cross. If you're going to see the wrath of God anywhere, you're going to see it at the cross. If you don't see it there, you don't see it anywhere. Because here is all of our sin being dealt with. All of our rebellion, all of our specific sins being dealt with at the cross. And you know what you see? You do see the character of God towards sin. Can you see the character of God at Calvary on the cross? In Jesus standing on the cross, do you see his holiness? Do you see his hatred of sin? Do you see his purity? Oh yes, we see his love. We see his grace. We see his kindness. We see his patience. We see his goodness. But do you see his hatred of sin? Why is it we want to diminish all of that, but we want to exalt the grace and love of Christ at Calvary? All we want to do is talk about the love. Wrath, I don't see wrath there. I only see love. How can you separate? How can you only see a part of a person? Don't you see his wrath as much as his love? You see, the character of God is wrath. It's all through the Bible, Old and New Testament. When you see glimpses of heaven, they're not singing, love, love, love. What are they singing when they worship God? Holy, holy, holy. That's the thing. When God came to swear by himself, what did he swear by? By his holiness. Do you know why? Why is it that of all the things he could have sworn by, he says, I swear by my holiness, I will not lie. I will do what I say. Why did he swear by his holiness? Because he said, if I lie, I deny my holiness. I deny my character. I deny who I am. So God swore by his highest character, the characteristic that would deny who he was if he broke his word. So he says, I swear by my holiness because I'm a holy God. You know why he's a loving God? Because he is a holy God. 
If you see a distinction in these things and go, holiness is the opposite of love. You don't understand his character. He is one God, indivisible. He is pure. He is holy. He hates sin. He loves sinners. You say that's confusing. I can't handle all that. Well, I was dyslexic, a failure at school, and I understand it. What's your problem? I mean, come on, guys. I'm tired of theologians saying, oh, the mystery of the Trinity. No, no one can understand it. What's wrong with you? Just read the Bible. Let a revelation of God. It's taught explicitly. What's your problem? You must be in a real bad place. If an eight-year-old dyslexic can understand that and you don't, you're in a bad, bad place. I'm tired of scholars saying, we can't understand this and we can't understand. Why do you think we're given the Bible? Why do you think we're given all this teaching? Clear statements. God's not trying to confuse himself. And so we sing about the holiness of God, not the love of God. But God is love. He, his nature is love. It, love isn't just something he does or shows. He is love. That's who he is. I do not deny the love of God, but neither do I deny the wrath of God. When you go into the Old Testament, you see the wrath of God. You see it talked about in the little letter of Jude time and time again. The angels who kept not their first estate. He now has them bound in chains until the day of judgment. That's the wrath of God. What about the flood that destroyed the old world? Everyone apart from eight people, he destroyed the entire world. What was that? That's the wrath of God. What about Sodom and Gomorrah that got so wicked that gangs of men patrolled the streets, raping new guests in the city? What did God do? He poured out the fire of his judgment, but he dragged one of his servants out before that. What is that? That's the wrath of God. God hates sin. Does that abhor you? Do you draw back from saying that's my God? I don't. You see, the God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah is the God who died for me at Calvary. The same God, the same nature. There's no confusion in this. You don't get one without the other. The God who hated the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is the God who loved this world and sent his son to die on a cross. You know, in Hebrews chapter four, it talks about Israel wandering in the wilderness. He brought them to the edge of the land to bring them in. He said, this is for you. And they wouldn't, they refused. They had unbelief. Remember what he'd done? He swore that they wouldn't get into the, into the land. He said, I'm telling you, you're not going in. You're going to die in a wilderness. You'll walk in this wilderness 40 years. But listen, he swore in his wrath. God doesn't get angry with his people, does he not? I can take you to a number of examples where his wrath was kindled against his own people. He says, you're not getting in the land. I swear in my wrath, by my wrath, I swear you are not getting in because of your unbelief and your disobedience and your stubbornness. You're not getting in. Caleb and Joshua will get in. They're of a different spirit. And so you see throughout the Bible, what about even Moses, remember that bloody man, his wife called him a bloody man. God met with him in the way and was going to kill him. You know why? He wasn't circumcised. 
and his child wasn't circumcised and he goes to his wife and says, give me that child. That child needs circumcised. God met with them to kill him. You've got to keep circumcision in your family. Oh, our God isn't like that. Then you deny the Bible. See, if you think that's a contradiction to Calvary, you don't know the character of God. This same character of God is displayed on Calvary. When Jesus Christ was dying there, the same wrath of God, hatred of sin, indignation, vengeance, all of this is being poured out at a place called Calvary. You come over into the New Testament in the days of the church and of the apostles. What about Acts chapter 5? Ananas and Sapphira, good members of the church. They've given a lot of money on Sundays to the church. At least they're telling that they are. Remember what Peter says? Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? First the husband drops down and dies, and then the wife. You know what that is? That's the wrath of God. You say there's no wrath in the New Testament. It's just all love and grace and mercy. Read your Bible. What about in Acts chapter 13 when Paul is preaching on the island of Cyprus and they encounter Elimaeus, the saucer. And it says he withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy of the island from the faith. Then listen to what, how Paul deals with them. Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, full of all subtility and mischief. That's not very nice, Paul. This poor man doesn't agree with you. Don't, don't call him names like that. But he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, thou shalt be blind and not see the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist of darkness. Do you realize there's the wrath and the judgment of God? It is a very real thing. See, the wrath of God is not primarily an action of punishment. But it is a heart characteristic within the heart of God. It's within his nature. It is who he is. He can't help himself but be this by his own nature. But listen, I want you to understand the wrath of God. It's not a momentary, spontaneous burst of anger. It's not that. You and I, that's what wrath is. We understand worldly wrath. You know what the church does? The, the church understands wrath of what human wrath is and then says, I don't believe God's like that, so they throw it out. You need to start with the Bible. Go to your Bible. What does the Bible say? That's how you discern the character of God. So it's not a spontaneous outburst of anger, but rather it's the final action. Wrath is an action out of the character of God, of his anger. It is the final action. After long patience, long endurance, it is his response against stubborn and willful rebellious sin. He doesn't want to judge anyone. He's not quick. He's not willing. You know, when wrath comes, there's been a lot of patience, a lot of delay. God is not quick to be wrathful. But when he comes with wrath, he has shown much patience with individuals. So when it comes, it is very strong. You know what the word wrath means? It means to swell up, to build up. It means to grow gradually, steadily, consistently, logically. To enlarge, 
And so you see what wrath is. It is a building, logical, step-by-step process of God getting to a point where he'll no longer hold back his wrath. He demands the punishment of sinners. This is the wrath of God and the character of God. When you look at the cross, you need to understand the character of God. He demands that sin has to be punished. Sinners have to be punished. That wrath and judgment has to fall. That's the character of God. He is a just God. He is a righteous God. He is a holy God. And if you don't see that, then you'll absolutely bankrupt the cross of truth and reality. He's not just a God of love. He's a God of wrath. There's wrath at the cross because there's sin at the cross. And God hates sin. You know what you see at the cross? You see God's indignation against the rebellion and the immorality and the idolatry of this world. That's number one. At the cross, you see the character of God's nature. Number two, you see the Christ of God. Who is this Christ of God? Look at verse 25 again, Romans 3, 25. Whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sin, sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Now it says, whom God set forth to be a propitiation. God set Christ forth. You know what that actually means? It means publicly. It means to make a public declaration, a public revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ to make him known. So every eye sees, every ear hears. That's what God done. God revealed his son at the cross. It was his son that was revealed there. It's not about men. It's about God's son. This is God's work to reveal his son. And you know what? In showing his son, It's the forbearance of God with people. He made him known. And listen, within the word set forth there, it actually means he decided beforehand that he would do this. He determined it. He planned it. Christ's coming was not plan B. Our plan C, our plan D. You know, when people think the cross was an accident, No, we're told that God planned Calvary from before creation, before the world, before sin, before Adam and Eve sinned. God had the shedding of the blood of his son at Calvary in his sights from before man even sinned, before he created anything. All of this was in his sights. And so we're told that God set forth his son You see, I'm talking about the wrath of God. When you deal with the wrath of God, look at God's response. He gave his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, God knows his character of wrath. What did he do? He gave us the Christ of God because he knows his character. He cannot excuse sin. He cannot tolerate sin. He cannot withhold himself from judgment. He doesn't desire that any perish or any man go to hell. The Bible says he didn't create hell for you and I, for men. He created it for Satan and his fallen angels. Either the Bible's true or it's not. He created hell for Satan primarily. 
He says, I don't want you to go there, but you will, because I know my character. I cannot tolerate your sin. I'll have to break out on you. There's a day of wrath. I'll be patient. I'll be slow. I'll give you 10,000 opportunities. I'll send people to you. I'll give you opportunities to, to turn. But I know there's a day I have to judge you. I don't delight in the judgment of any sinner. But you know what? My character is such. You know what God done? He sent his son. He held forth his son. You know why? Because of his wrath. This is his way out. This is the answer. I'm giving you my son. Can you imagine how serious to reject the son of God? God gave his son. Why do you think Jesus came? It's because sin is going to get dealt with very clearly. Now notice, set forth to be a propitiation. God the Father set forth his son at the cross to be a propitiation. See that word propitiation. Don't be scared by big words. Don't be a Moab. Don't be an Ashdodite. Huh? Pro what? Propitiation. It's a powerful word. Do you know what it says? God set forth, held forth that everybody could see that Christ is a propitiation. You better learn what that word means because God made him that for you to see. If you don't see Christ as your propitiation, you're in trouble because the wrath of God will come upon you. This is the only answer, the only escape. Christ was held forth for everyone to see as a propitiation. God the Father made him a propitiation. What does this word propitiation mean? It's only used one other place in the New Testament in the Greek language. The exact same word. Do you know where it is? It's in Hebrews chapter 9 and 5. And do you know what the word is? Mercy seat. Talking about the Old Testament tabernacle. When the priest, the high priest would go into the secret place behind the curtain and the Ark of the Covenant was sitting there. The mercy seat was the lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant. It was made of solid gold. It had two cherubims, one on either side, facing each other with their wings stretching across, covering the glory. That's what the mercy seat is. You know what this is, and this is my second point, the Christ of God. God gave his son to be a propitiation, a mercy seat. You see, if you don't connect the new to the old, you don't even know what this means. Yeah. Jesus Christ is not only a lamb of God. He's not only the Passover lamb. Do you know what he is? He is your propitiation. He's your mercy seat. What that led on the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, in the temple, at the very heart, at the very apex of all real worship, at the very center of everything. He is the lid on the Ark of the Covenant. He is the mercy seat. He is the throne of God. He is the dwelling place of God. This is it. This is where you meet God. This is where God speaks to you. This is where God promises to reveal himself. This is the only place God speaks. This is the only place God will meet with you. This is the only place God reveals himself to you. This is it. 
Where? On the mercy seat. Saints of God, if you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat is in the New Testament, you don't understand Christ. But see, when you say, he is my propitiation, I've got to go into the Old Testament. What did that mercy seat mean to God? And what did it mean to Israel? And why did God give it to the nation? When you begin to ask those questions and begin to study, you're going to have a revelation. Who is my Jesus? He is my mercy seat. And you begin to understand him. See, the lid of the ark was there as a dwelling place for God. Remember who this Jesus is. Remember John the Baptist when he prepared the way for Jesus to come. He said, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Remember, he preached the Lamb of God. Remember, he pointed the finger at Christ and he said, he's the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. But that isn't what he said first. He said, who's told you to flee from the wrath of God? Why are you coming out to me to hear my preaching? See how Romans begins with the wrath of God to bring you to propitiation, to bring you to the blood. See how John's ministry began with flee from the wrath to come. Can I warn you, you need to run and flee the wrath to come. Oh, there isn't any wrath. God isn't wrathful. He's just loving all the time. There's no wrath. He's my friend, my buddy. Try telling John the Baptist that. Listen to what Christ said in John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And him that believeth not on the Son shall not have life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Christ actually taught that if you are not born again, if you don't believe the gospel, the wrath of God abides on you. It's hanging over your head. Jesus Christ, meek and mild, the Lamb of God, was preaching. If you don't get right with God and repent, the wrath of God, it abides on you every day. Do you realize every sinner in this city, any sinner in this room, the wrath of God is hanging over your head. You know what that means? If you have one slip, if you die in your bed tonight, you go out into a lost eternity of experiencing the unquenchable wrath of God for all eternity. And there's no end to that. There's no cure. That's what that actually means. The wrath of God is abiding upon you. This isn't make-believe. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Fear not them that kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him that is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's how Christ used to preach. Luke chapter 13, verse 3. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, turn from your sin, ye shall all likewise perish. Are these 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them? Think ye they were worse sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all wise like perish. This is the preaching of Christ. He is the propitiation. He is the mercy seat. He came to save men. He is filled with love. He is the Lamb of God. He is everything God wants you to have. 
And yet he's preaching, warning about wrath and judgment and hatred and vengeance. And so you see the Christ of God, not only the character of God, but the Christ of God. But thirdly, the cross of God. I want you to see this so, so very carefully. Because when you come to the cross, you see the atonement, the blood, the sprinkling, the satisfaction of God. Those who reject the wrath of God finally reject propitiation. I don't believe that. God didn't need to shed blood. Do you see how all of this gets destroyed? You deny the character of God's wrath, his hatred of sin. Suddenly you begin, we don't even need the cure anymore. We deny the curse. Now we deny the cure. How dangerous. When you find a preacher who throws away blood atonement, substitution that denies that Christ had to die in your place for your sin and suffer your punishment at a place called the cross. You know what it tells me? Long ago, they began denying the character of God. They began denying what sin is and righteousness and repentance. Now they don't even believe in the provision of God and they still stay in the ministry and in the church. See, when you come to the cross of Christ, when Jesus died on the cross, remember he fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. Remember in Leviticus, one man, the high priest, entered within the veil once a year. He went into the Holy of Holies. Only once in the year, he stood before the Ark of the Covenant Before the mercy seat, only once in the year, the great high priest, Israel's priest, and he comes in there. What's he going to do? Why is he at the mercy seat? Is the mercy seat enough? No. Do you know what? Blood has to be shed there and accepted at the mercy seat. That's the only place you have no relationship with God. God isn't going to speak to the nation. God will not accept the nation unless there's blood on the mercy seat. Christ being alive is not sufficient. Christ being risen from the dead is not sufficient. What about the blood? Remember in Hebrews, it said when he entered after Dan, rising from the dead, after he entered into the Holy of Holies, do you know how he said it? He entered in by the blood. He came in with an offering of his own precious blood. What do you think had perished at Calvary 2,000 years ago, that blood? It was incorruptible. It's sinless. It doesn't decay. It's sinless blood. Remember what it says in the book of Acts, the blood of God. Do you know what that blood still speaks? That blood still atones. Do you know it says he entered into the presence of God by that blood. He came in with an offering. That blood had to be applied to the altar or else you don't have salvation tonight. It's that precious precious blood. And so the old, in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement, that one day when the nations reconciled to God, Yom Kippur, that's the day. Remember Leviticus chapter 16, to make atonement. You know what they're trying to do? They're appeasing God, the wrath of God against sin. The nation be destroyed. Do you honestly think Israel can function year to year as a nation without the blood actually on the altar? No more than that. The actual blood on the mercy seat within the curtain, within the holy place. 
That secret place that only one man can go once a year. You can't even go there. You're not allowed to go there. One man goes there with blood. And that's what happened here each day in the Yom Kippur. Do you begin to understand what the cross was? It was the place of bloodshed and that Christ could become a propitiation for the entire church. It's a picture. It's a type. It says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, But God commendeth his love towards us. In the while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. You know what it says in Romans 3.25? That Christ is a propitiation through faith in his blood. How does Christ become your propitiation, your mercy seat? Through faith in the blood. When you put faith in the blood of Jesus... Christ becomes your mercy seat. He becomes your medium between God and you. God now says, I can speak to you and walk with you and live with you. Remember over in Leviticus, this was the great problem. I'm a holy God. I will be sanctified among you. If one of you sins, I'll break out. Remember all through Leviticus, all through the five books of Moses, they're constantly being told, I can't go up to the land with you. I can't dwell in your midst because you know what? As soon as you begin sinning and become hard-hearted, I'm going to break out of my wrath against you. This is God's answer. It's the mercy seat. It's the blood. Do you realize tonight God would consume you tonight in this meeting if it wasn't for the blood on the mercy seat? If Christ wasn't holding back the wrath of God, people who say, we don't believe in the wrath of God. We don't believe in propitiation. We don't believe in substitution. We don't believe in penal judgment. Then you're going to come under the wrath of God. What a dangerous place. It says in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10, concerning us that are really born again, that we wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Let me finish on a fourth and a final point. This is about coming wrath. The cross happened 2,000 years ago, but there's still a judgment. There's a judgment yet to come. God's wrath hasn't disappeared. It's as real in the New Testament as it was the old. As with the flood, as with Sodom and Gomorrah, as with every incident, God's wrath is real tonight. If you think there's no wrath of God, you know tonight in this room, God's wrath is very near and very real. You can't even imagine how close the sword of God's wrath is tonight. The only way you don't tremble is if you're thoroughly washed in the blood of the Lamb and your faith is in that blood, and Christ is your propitiation. My fourth and last point, the common catastrophe, or we could say the common cosmic disaster of God's wrath. The Bible speaks about this often. It says in Romans 2 verse 4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness. Could you imagine despising the riches of of God's goodness. He's offering it to you. I want to give you all my goodness. 
Can you imagine despising that? Yet he talks about that. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance. In other words, that he's a lot of time held back his wrath, his forbearance. Do you despise that? Treat it lightly. And his long suffering, he suffers long with your sin, rebellion, hardness. Do you think it's a light thing that he does that? This is his character. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Do you know what many sinners think? I haven't been judged yet. God hasn't consumed me. Nothing's happened. I've sinned. Sure, look at all I've done. I'm still here. Nothing happened. There's no flash of lightning. I've even seen sinners get very brazen. God, if you're there, then kill me. Send lightning. And they say, see, nothing happened. Do you know what these verses, they actually address this. say, don't you realize the goodness of God and holding back his wrath, his mercy? Don't you realize it's to lead you to repentance? Instead, you get hardened. You become increasingly hardened. This ought to soften you that he hasn't destroyed you yet. But after thy hardness, an impotent or unrepentant heart, you treasure up unto thyself. Listen, this New Testament, this is after the cross. This is being preached by an apostle in the New Testament. And he's talking about those who are treasuring up unto themselves wrath. Do you realize when you don't come and accept God's love and grace and mercy, you are storing up, you are treasuring up God's wrath. Oh, it hasn't come yet. You know what you're doing? You're storing up for one singular day. The wrath of God is getting heavier above your head. It is getting larger. It is getting worse. It's not staying the same. The more you ignore it and despise and take lightly God's love. Oh, we just believe in the love of God. Sure, sure, everyone goes to heaven. Sure, he forgives everyone. I've, I've heard a thousand sinners say that. Oh, no, you're storing up. Oh, I can't believe that. I don't, I don't feel that bad. You're storing up against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous indignation of God. Paul is speaking about the same God who let his son die at Calvary, who will render to every man according to his deeds. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9, For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible actually speaks about sinners are called children of wrath. You're a child of wrath. That's what you are. If you're not in Christ, you're a child of wrath. It also calls them children of disobedience in Colossians chapter 3. And so we see that outside of Christ, outside of the mercy seat, the wrath of God abides on you every day. You're a child of wrath. This is your future. Unless you run to the mercy seat, unless you run to the blood, and the blood's only one place, it's on the mercy seat. That's the only place you find the blood and forgiveness and reconciliation with God. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he done on the cross. When he shed his blood... That's your only hope. You know, the Bible speaks very strongly, repeatedly about the coming judgment. 
It says in Romans 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. It says in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 7, and to you who are troubled, rest with us, whom the Lord Jesus shall be, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Listen to how he comes. Oh, he's going to come as a wonderful, loving, kind God. No, this is what it says. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Oh, God won't take vengeance. Yes, he will. He tells you not to take vengeance. You know why? Because he is going to take vengeance. Never take vengeance on your own behalf. Never. You know why? There's a day when Christ comes back. He is going to take vengeance. His angels. Can you imagine this? When he comes back with angels of flame and fire to take vengeance on this world. What a terrible day. What a tragic day. You know what? I, because of the blood on the mercy seat, I've been delivered from the wrath to come. I'll never experience his wrath. Never. Do you know this earth is going to experience his wrath? And the Bible says in Revelation, listen to what it says. The Revelation talks more about the wrath of God than any book in the New Testament. You know why? This is when it gets revealed. It says in Revelation 6, 16, and they say to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Do you realize when the Lamb comes back, he is coming with wrath, not with love, not with mercy, not with salvation. He's going to come with wrath. You know the word Lamb in the revelation, it means one as if slain, a Lamb as if it had been slain. Here's the Lamb of Calvary, the Lamb, the fulfillment of all of the types and the shadows from Genesis 4 all the way through. Every lamb pointing to Christ. Now he's a ram with, with wrath. You want to deny the wrath of God at Calvary? Then try denying the wrath of God with the lamb of God in the book of Revelation. And it says, for the great day of his wrath is come. This is the day of the wrath of the lamb. Today he's a lamb that will forgive you and show mercy and cleanse you from your sin. If you reject that, he then comes with great wrath, unquenchable wrath. No man's going to hide on that day. All the great men of the earth, they're going to say, let the mountains fall on us. Let the rocks hide us from the wrath of the lamb. Can you imagine the terror on that day? You're talking about antichrist system. Saints of God, I'm not going to be here when the wrath of God falls. We are delivered from the wrath to come. And you know what it says? It goes on to speak time and time again about this wrath. In Revelation 14, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. God still has wrath. He will have wrath straight up until the end of time. The wrath of God has, you haven't seen the wrath of God yet. You know what? The flood is small. Sodom and Gomorrah is small. You're, you're looking at 8 billion people in our world and the wrath of God, his patience, his love, his kindness, his mercy is holding back the wrath of God. As soon as that falls, God help this world. 
Saints of God, the only protection is that Christ bore the wrath of God and you no longer are going to suffer the wrath of God. God hates sin. God will pour his wrath out on every single sinner who has not taken shelter in the Lamb of God. What a terrible day it's going to be. We read in the, in the Revelation about the seven golden vials held by seven angels full of the wrath of God, ready to be poured on the world. I'm not talking about hell yet. Oh, that's to come. I'm talking about God's wrath at a certain point when he catches us up to meet him in the air. To meet him. And then he pours out his wrath without mixture for one short period of time on this earth. What wrath he pours out. What indignation on sinners. On this world system. On antichrist system. All those who take the mark are going to suffer the wrath of God. They haven't even gone to hell yet. They're still on the earth. Still a part of a system. And the wrath of God falls. What a terrifying thing. And you go, you haven't even died yet. You know what? Those who take the mark, it says they're tormented in their body. And you know what? They pray to die and they cannot die. They cannot die. They're looking relief from this. And even if they do die, they're going to go straight into torment. It is a terrible thing. Filled with the wrath of God. Don't tell me the wrath of God isn't a real thing. Saints of God, that's why you and I, we shouldn't act like sinners. We need to flee from the wrath to come. Look at what sinners are going to get judged with. You say, I can carry on those sins, but sinners are going to go to an eternal hell for it. Are you kidding me? Is your view so low of God? Do you have so little of the fear of God that you'll say, men, you you can glibly say, men are going to go to an eternal hell. There's guys on this street went evangelizing others, drink, drinking their beer, smoking their pot, telling other men, you need to be born again or you're going to die and go to hell. You think they're going to escape the fires of God's judgment? You think you, you can threaten others and yet live as a hypocrite? No chance. And so we see the Bible. You know, when we come to the cross of God, Jesus dying on the cross. You know, the wrath of God is going to be poured out in the lake of fire. There's a judgment on this earth coming very soon. And this earth is building up the wrath of God. It's going to fall. The vials are filled with the wrath of God. They're about to be poured out. But after that, there is an eternal hell. An eternal hell. Saints of God, those washed in the blood of the Lamb are going to dwell with God eternally. We are going to dwell in the glory of his presence forever and ever and ever. It's a glorious thing. But as I close, you see, this horrifies me. The preachers and prophets and ministries and men and churches are saying, we don't believe in the wrath of God. And God's wrath was not satisfied at the cross when Jesus died and shed his blood. God didn't need satisfied. Then what got dealt with on the cross? See, I believe Jesus Christ became my substitute, my propitiation. His blood was shed to satisfy the holiness of God, 
the righteousness of God or else I could never have gone free because for God to keep his righteousness, he would have had to have destroyed me in an eternity in hell. Only by Christ dying on that cross and bearing the sin of all the world and carrying my sin and being my substitute could I go free. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you tonight, Father, that you'd show us not only your love made manifest at the cross, but also your wrath, your hatred of sin, the seriousness of these things. Father, you know how weak we are, how frail we are. You know our battle with the flesh, Lord God. You know the tempter, you know the liar, you know the deceiver, you know the influences of this world. And Lord God, yet we look to you, to the blood of the Lamb, to walk this world in white. Lord God, that we might be overcomers by the precious blood of the Lamb, that we might live triumphantly in this life, looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even so, come Lord Jesus. My God, we're not terrified at the thought of seeing you. We're not asking for stones to fall upon us, our mountains to hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. But, oh God, we're saying, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, even so come. My God, I desire to catch a glimpse of the Lamb of God. What a day that will be when my Savior I shall see, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. My God, we're longing for rest. We're longing for the end of strife. We're longing for the end of battles and weariness of this warfare. My God, we desire you. We long for you. And my God, we know our salvation is found at Calvary in the bleeding lamb, in the atoning work of the lamb. Thank you that you became my propitiation, my mercy seat, that you bear all the wrath of God, that God was satisfied in the blood of his only begotten son. And I was forgiven. My debts were canceled. I was covered. I went free. I was released from the death. And we love you, Lord Jesus, tonight. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus.